to Dishing Daycare Dirt. I'm Shelly Cooper, owner of Lifelong Learners Child Development Centers in Downers Grove. We have a mission to ensure all children know they matter. We create experiences, have a blast while teaching, and show these kids love day in and day out. This podcast was created to be a resource for early childhood education teachers, but really it's for anyone who interacts with young children. I'm so happy you pushed play today. So let's do this. Again, today we have kind of a part two with Margaret, and um, we're just going to kind of piggyback on the last podcast about Reggio and just give you some um, insight into that. Last podcast, we talked about the history of Reggio, um, a little bit about philosophy, the image of the child. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the seven main principles of the Reggio philosophy. All right. So how are you doing, Margaret? I'm doing well. How are you? back on with me. All right. So why don't we go through the seven principles, um, just kind of one by one, and we'll just talk about each one a little bit. Uh, So the first principle is the image of the child. And I know that we did touch on that on the last podcast, but um, we can just kind of go over that a a little bit. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about the image of the child? I could. Um, And again, my name is Margaret uh, Jaroge. And uh, um, you know, what a privilege to talk about the image of the child. And many times I usually say it is really not the image of the child. It is the image you have of your own child within you. Um, because then whichever way that you view yourself as a child, when you are a child, is the way you view other children uh, or, you know, other younger people, um, as we call them children. So, um like uh, we mentioned last time, um, I was born and raised in in Kenya, and uh, of course my kids also were raised there. You know, we came here when they're so young, and I still, when I think about this image of the child, I always my mind always gravitates towards my children and how they were able to um, integrate into this country and how they struggled, and they could. The children are not able to deny who they are. Uh, many times we try to walk them from who they are. They know who they are. They are curious. They know they have potential. They may not have those big words. They they they, they are always prepared uh, for whatever is. They they are ready for relationships. They they know how to connect. And when they cannot connect, they are telling us, "I need a way to connect here." Um, they are always explorers. They are always discoverers. Uh, they always know how to interact with their own environment. Our job as adults is really to have that beautiful image of a child who is capable and who knows what it is that they need and to create such an environment where they are able to negotiate with that environment to get what it is that they want to learn within whatever is that they know how to learn. Our job again is to scaffold to create that environment where it is expanding their curiosity to explore, to know, to, to understand, to spearhead their learning in whichever way that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to mention something we said last time. Rorius uh, uh, Maragosi, Maragosi said that many times, I'm paraphrasing, many times the children will not necessarily learn what we are teaching them. Their learning is as a result of the interactions of the things that we have put right in front of them. And they create their own learning. And they learn so many different ways. And one then, of course, the other principle is 100 languages. Yes. 
You know, I, I love that. And I think that that one of the hardest things, I think, for teachers who are used to traditional teaching versus this is that that exact point that you bring up is that their learning is the result of the interaction and what's going on. So it's hard, I think, sometimes for teachers to let go of their plan. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, and they're going to learn this. Because as they're learning, we're honoring them. Like we're respecting them. We're respecting their ideas. And it might not be the exact outcome that a teacher wants, but it's so much better. It's so much better when it's dictated by the child and when you're honoring them. Um, And that's actually something that I think a lot of parents get a little bit confused about too, is that it's not a free for all. It's very intentional. It's um, we are setting up the environment very intentionally. We are setting up, um, you know, project-based learning, but it's open enough to let the child dictate where they want their learning to go. You know, for me, I think I have my personal philosophy. I I think it kind of lines up great with Regio, but it is my personal philosophy I've had from the time I was so young. Um, because I was, I was, I'm, I'm a middle child born, you know, with few children back. And of course, back there, you help raise. And I, I think one of the best things about that image of the child is the consideration that that child, my philosophy is that a child is a human being first. Mm-hmm. If we look at it that way, then we understand that that child is an active per se, citizen of that community or that space that they are in. And they, every citizen has rights. They have responsibilities. They have so much to contribute to that environment. They receive and they give also, including the baby themselves. They have so much that they are contributing to the environment where they are in, and there's so much that they are also receiving. And I think in that local community where you know children are with their rights, then we are able to respect those rights because we also know that we have rights ourselves. Mm-hmm. I usually say many times it's really like coming to an office and you tell me, uh, Margaret, can you stop what you're doing and you do this? And I my question is like my god where do i start and where are you taking me it's like no you just do what i said it's like wait a minute i would like to know mm-hmm. can you explain to me part right. of it because intuitively all of us knows that we do have those basic rights of needing and wanting to be independent mm-hmm. independent of thought independent of activity independent of the contribution that we make and that is the image of the child where you know if for example, you just said many parents get uh, worried about children not hitting the milestones which are needed. And I will tell you the truth that when we allow children to express themselves like this, when you go to Illinois early learning standards, you will discover that you hit more actually than those intentionalities of the lesson plans, which today we're going to do this and today we're going to do this so that you hit those milestones. Yeah. You hit automatically and by default. All it's of them. More it's more natural. It's it's so more natural. natural. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So actually, that that uh, kind of segues beautifully into the next um, principle, which is emergent cur- curriculum. So you mm. really touched a lot about that on how um, the curriculum is really um, child centered. It's it's mm-hmm. what their interests are. It, it emerges naturally um, based on where the children want to go um, and. 
you mentioned the Illinois standards. And it honestly, I think that it's so easy to teach any kind of standard, anything with any topic. I mean, if you're teaching numbers, you can talk about anything. You could talk about spiders. You could talk about letters when you're learning about spiders. You can talk about numbers. You can talk about shapes. I mean, you can weave any state standard into anything that those kids are interested in. And they learn more when they're interested, right? And and it is so easy actually to to do that. One of the things which personally I got so weary of, and now you know now that I'm in school, I have had that share is the teaching you know the alphabet principle. Um, those letters are so abstract that the, the, the children don't have relationship with them. And that is why it is even developmentally, you know, inappropriate. You know, they're not DAP, developmentally appropriate practice to teach them, especially when you're teaching them individually, because there is no time that that letter was going to be appearing individually somewhere. So, for example, let's say you're talking about insects. What Legio uh, approach does, it invites the children in a sustaining learning way when you're doing um, exactly what it is that it's about. Let's say talk about, you talked about the spider. You can count the legs of a spider. Already you did math. You can count, you know, you can look at the shape of the spider. Already you're still doing math. You can talk about the science of that spider. You can watch it when it is spinning that that web. That is really so much science, but it is also so much focused. The spider is so much focused. You can talk about, you know, the what it is that they eat. That is science. You can talk about, you know, where do we find the spiders? Do we find them in the house? Do we find them wherever? How do you take care of that spider? So that when you see it, you don't just, because it's part of the ecosystem. That is science. There's just, so, I was planning um, one the, the last time, last semester about a lesson plan. And I wanted to do about traffic, um, transportation. And specifically, I wanted to do the traffic. And I couldn't figure out exactly which milestone because I was required to do one. And I couldn't, I couldn't select one. It was just so hard because there are just so many things you yeah. can hit, just traffic. And I was talking about this traffic here of the many things that we can learn. And I did practice literally to take the kids out, talk about, and then they take you to another different world of of different fire trucks and what it is the fire trucks do and now we are talking about the fire trucks it's like let's talk about how many people can drive a fire truck then by mere default a fire truck passes and there were two drivers Mm -hmm. one at the back and one in front now we are talking about now two drivers now we are doing the two fingers we are doing the fingerprint we are doing the five more now we are running to kind of see whether we can run at the speed of the truck you know they are at the back and i think I have hit so many of the Illinois early learning standards. By then, within 30 minutes, mm-hmm. I have seen where every child is. I'm yeah. recording. Of course, it's one of the principles that we will talk about, you know, the documentation. And it is relatively way easier to hit those really great developmental milestones through regio, but yeah. with freedom. Yeah. And I think the key to everything that you've said right now is that teachers have to listen and observe. You have to do that in order to figure out where what the child knows, because you don't want to be teaching them stuff they already know. You want to start with what they know and extend that. Um, and, and just listening and observing tells you, you know, like what they're interested in, what they know, and, and you, you know where to go from there. And, and 
you know, like you said, they might take you in a completely different direction, but if you're not listening to them, then you're going to be going the opposite way that they want to go. So that's a, exactly. I think a key thing for teachers is really observing and listening to the children. Exactly. And by the way, it is one of the things that we, because the children perceive that you really know them because you're giving them the things that they're looking for, because you know where they are, it becomes much easier as far as disciplining. And I deserve that word, really disciplining, because it is really directing the children to where it is that they are interested. So let's say for circle time, for that child who will not sit for circle time because children are not necessarily built to sit still. Uh, they may not be able to sit still. The way you would like them to sit still, it just becomes mm-hmm. so tiring and exhausting because physically they cannot be able to do that. And by, by looking at that child who is jumping, you just know automatically this child is ready to jump. Let me create a space where they can jump. In the jumping, let's do the math. Let's do right. one. Right. To in the running, how far can you run? How far can you throw that thing? Let's measure. Um, let's see how many times you can jump to there. You are creating that 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 you're scaffolding from where that child is because you have seen that is what they need. That right. is what they are looking for. That is where it is that they are yearning for. When you invite that child for circle time to whichever book that they choose, if you wanted to read the book about the spider and they want the book about the caterpillar. You just put that one there because they're more likely to perceive that you really are hearing them. That is the word. You are hearing them. And therefore, they are more likely to come to you because, let's face it again, all these principles are intertwined and they are kind of interlocking one another because now that goes to building relationships mm-hmm. with the children. Yeah. Yeah. In, like in they, relationships, yeah. I was just going to say in relationships and connecting are just the foundation of everything because a child will do almost anything for you if they feel like you genuinely care for them. You know, they're going to listen to you. If they don't feel connected to you, they are not going to listen to you at all. You know, so, so important. They they are not. And actually, then they know. Yeah. They know when you're faking it. And they'll tell you straight to the face because they don't have the information to, let me sugarcoat this one. They, they will just go straight. Why are you mad? It's like, but I'm smiling, but you, you are mad. You don't look happy. And my point is, there is this lady in um, in a TED, and I'm forgetting her name. I think her name is Lisa. Um, she, she talked about allowing the children to know that you love them and that you deeply care about them and they know it because there is no child who's going to sit there and be taught by a teacher who don't really like them. The teacher who's just there to pass time, they understand and they see it. Mm-hmm. So again, now moving from curriculum to building relationship, I think relationships comes f- first before we do even that curriculum. Absolutely. Because we're more likely to listen to those people whom we know or we think or we perceive they care about us. Mm-hmm. And they care about it. We, we all know this. We did it do. I'm more likely to listen to, to a person who is more likely it's like that person really understands. Go talk to so and so. They really understand. They do. And it is okay. I have seen many times when I'm in the classroom and the child does not want me, maybe, for example, to change their diapers. Mm-hmm. I allow the child to make that choice and I direct them to where it is. But finally, the child kind of looks at me like, they were kind enough to take me to where I was feeling safe. Yeah. 
Right. The next time you see them now gravitating towards me is like now today you're gonna change me. Yep. Part of it because I honored that. That is building the relationship and and really seeing them and understanding their fears and yep. directing them to where they are safe. So when we talk about even in a grander way, when you talk about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, you talk about the food and then safety. Mm-hmm. So a child when they, they they are fed and now they are thinking about safety. Mm-hmm. And that diapering, I don't want you to touch my body. I don't know you. So, so you take them to the person whom they are feeling safe. They right. start trusting you. Yep. They they start seeing that this person understands me. And mm-hmm. they can see now gravitating. They can bring, you know, something small to kind of now willing to connect. Because children are wired to connect yeah. as soon as they feel safe. Absolutely. For sure. Um, okay. So why don't we do one more? Cause it's mm-hmm. when you and I talk about this stuff, we're both so passionate about it that it always takes longer than what we intend. So yes, let's do number I three. Love, love this. I, I then, wish somebody can just feel maybe what it feels inside to really I know. know the impact of this and how the children can, I wish a million times over. This is what it is that my children experienced, but and they experienced a little bit back home. And also here, because then I was there. And they may not have turned out whoever is, but at least they experienced this. And I love, 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 love it. I used to take my kids to the park um, just to throw stones in the river. And yeah. we just talked about that. And it, it's really gratifying. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's do number three, um, which we actually kind of did touch on a little bit, but it's um, collaboration and co-construction. So we did kind of touch on the collaborative learning experience and, you know, teachers as more of like facilitators or co-learners, you know, so do you want to touch on that at all? Add anything to what we've already spoke about? You know, the teacher is, and this is what I love, because then when you understand that a child has rights, a citizen of that environment, then you you realize that you have actually equal rights. And there is no person who per se is having more say than the other. You become human beings at that moment. And so the teacher is a co-learner with that student. Our job is to inquire and inquire from the children, not in an inquisitive way that we, we exhaust them, but in a scaffolding way. If a child asks you a question, you don't give them direct answers. You want to, again, learn from where they are, but in a very sweet way that it is conversational. Um, you know, if a child is like, I, I went there and I did this, in, instead of just responding yes, you just, okay, tell me more must have been so exciting. And then they continue telling you more of whatever it is that they were doing. And I think when you are calling, you sit there with a child and you're running together. It is more collaborative than maybe any other philosophy I know. Um, that is why it is project-based, because then you are expanding from whatever it is that you discover the child knows to expand from there, but you're still doing it together right so you you are it's literally a project yeah. you're doing a project with the child only that you have a little bit more knowledge but you want the child specifically and this is key michelle you want the child to discover for themselves yeah yeah it's more exciting for that child to discover 
something that maybe they had not known. And you can see the aha moment going on. And right. that child now is even more excited. Yeah. In, in addition to the yeah, mm-hmm. in addition to the excitement, is I think it really helps their self-esteem. It helps them know that they can do hard things. They can learn things and and you can learn together. It's not, you know, teachers saying everything that they know. It's learning together and that in it's a life skill, really being able to figure things out. It is very interesting because one of the things is one of the things which is a thing and people don't think it is a thing is I did it all by myself. You see that child saying I did it all by myself yeah. and you can see the the the, the rising up of of the the the, the self trust that I can trust myself of doing the hard things. Right. And that actually starts expand. It's like a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's like a muscle when you allow that child to put that dress and it is backward and you don't judge it because it's a decision and you don't judge it. You figure out another way to kind of, you know, put it the right way. But at that moment, it's such an achievement for child, that child to do that, to, for that child to put that backward and kind of look at me. I did it all by myself. And they... And they don't look for rewards. They don't look for accolades. They just need you to acknowledge that indeed it was all by myself. And you modeling the adults, modeling that through the relationship that you have created and seeing that child work so hard and admiring the process. I saw you work so hard, tying that shoe Two things, and you're so focused. You spell out for them exactly how they got there, not the results of how they got there. It is so gratifying to that child, and that muscle start, you know, muscle of decision making, not choices, decision making, start rising up. And you can see the child is gaining more confidence, the more self-reliant, the more self-independent, the more self-efficacy. They know how to do things because now they are so routine. That is why personally, the sticker issue or the reward issue is just so can we not do that because you are cutting short that which the skill the child is willing to learn or by themselves. When you give them the reward, you start now making them chase the reward instead of the skill itself. And that goes back to the relationship. Trust is the gift we can give our children. I'm with you on the whole sticker thing because that to me really takes away from intrinsic feelings. Like they need to be proud and do things because they want to do it, not because they're going to get a sticker. And honestly, I I think sticker charts are kind of like a form of public humiliation. If you put it on the wall in a classroom, it's telling the child that they didn't, all the other kids know they didn't get their sticker. Like I, I don't like sticker charts at all. I don't know how to scream to everyone. If you have to do it, you can do it as an incentive, Mm -hmm. but not at all. But must we do it? Must we do especially those things which the children are not there because the children are intuitively, honestly wired to want to learn and to want to do things. It's a propensity that they have and we don't have to go and speed it up. They will do it at their own time. Our job is to make life interesting for them so that they are willing to to come and do it. Talk about the potty training. It's the same thing. You're asking the child to do something that they don't know how to do and you're giving them the the pressure. I think it is imperative to really 
still give the children rewards, but I think giving the child the reward, it has to be immediate, but it also have you have to spare the whole process of how they did it, but you're not rewarding the fact that they did it, you are rewarding the effort. Right. The effort of getting there. To me, the best of the rewards is leaders spelling out how they work so hard. A high five is more than enough. It is really great. It's like, hi, hi, five. I saw you did one, two, three. I saw you used your words to tell your friends one, two, three. Did it feel better? Right. Did it work? No, it didn't work. What do you think can work? How, how can, can, can we do it? How can Miss Margaret help you to be able to do it? You, they, you allow them to go deep inside them, to think as capable human beings they are, and then they give you the answer of how to get that help. Right. Because many yeah. times those high fives, many times those hugs, they get there for us. They're not for the children. Yeah. And when they come up with their own, their own, you know, way uh, or own solution, they're going to own it more. They're going to, they're going to really be proud. They're going to really be invested in it. Just like adults. I mean, I feel like every concept that we try with children are concepts that we should be doing as adults too, you know? There's an African saying that says that, you know, whoever fetches the water knows the value of every drop. When that child has worked so hard for that concept, they value that concept more. Yeah. As opposed to, I, I know I, I just don't, I don't know whether you have ever seen those, when they build those things, they, they are so proud and another child comes and knock it down. And you can see the devastation. That child is taking care of it. Can I save it? Can I save it? Because it's such a beautiful achievement. And then if you ask them maybe two days after, you can hear them describing how they built that thing. Because that is their effort. And it is coming from inside. And it is the pride it gives. It's the boost it gives of the confidence. It is who we really are as human beings. Yeah. We, 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 we feel great when we do the things that we know we are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love this subject. It's a little good. I wish I can, you know, just open people's hearts and kind of pour it there. I so know. That they can and they know that it is themselves in a natural life. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything. Don't forget to like us and subscribe. We love feedback. So tell us what you want to learn about. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, please contact us at lifelonglearners212 at gmail.com. In the meantime, go out and be the difference.